This is the Ruminant Podcast. I'm Jordan Marr. The Ruminant.ca is a website dedicated to sharing good ideas for farmers and gardeners. At the Ruminant, you can find past episodes of this podcast, essays I've written, a few book reviews, and a whole lot of photo-based blog posts, some of which were made by me and some of which were submitted by you. So I hope you'll check it out, theruminant.ca. And if you want to get a hold of me, editor at theruminant.ca or at ruminantblog on Twitter. Okay, let's do this show. Hey folks, I am just about to head out into the mountains for some hiking with my wife, Vanessa. So it's a rerun this week. This week I'm putting up a past conversation with Troy Peters about irrigation because it never made it onto the new feed when I switched over to to my new feed uh, about a year ago. So I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you'll consider sending me an email or a text message or something to that effect telling me about a good decision you made on your farm this year, because I would really like to to share your insights on the podcast here. Editor at theruminant.ca, 250-767-6636 if you want to send me a text, or you can call my voicemail hotline, 310-734-8426, and leave a voicemail there. Thanks, have a great week, and I'm going to try real hard to have some new content for you next week. In this episode... I interview Troy Peters. Troy is trained as an irrigation engineer and works out of the Extension Service at Washington State University. In this conversation, Troy and I talk about an app that he and his colleagues have developed to help farmers and gardeners figure out the best way to approach the irrigation of their crops. We also talk about some common mistakes that farmers and gardeners make when irrigating, as well as some techniques for determining when it's time to water your crops. By now, you must be teetering on the edge of your seat with bated breath. But I need to tell you that I record this podcast uh, out of my house, and while I recorded this interview, there were men here at the house doing stuff to the house. Uh, I'm having some renovations done right now, and uh, three quarters of the way through the podcast, uh, you'll hear some very annoying power tool sounds. So I apologize for that, but uh, so so it goes, and uh, I'm going to think a little bit uh, more about avoiding power tool sounds in future interviews. So you have that to look forward to if you uh, check out the next episode. Okay, enjoy this conversation. So Troy Peters, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Um, so I've asked you on today to talk about a topic uh, about which you claim to be very passionate, uh, irrigation scheduling. But first, maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about um, your work uh, that you do at Washington State University and perhaps what you, uh, you've studied in the past. Sure. So uh, my degree actually is in irrigation engineering. And so this is what I do. I'm an extension irrigation uh, specialist for, at Washington State University. I work here at the Irrigated Ag Research and Extension Center, and I'm also a registered professional agricultural engineer. Um, so uh, basically, uh, for those of you that don't uh, know what Extension is, it's, it's part of the uh, land-grant university system that, uh, and our purpose is to reach out and, and uh, extend your uh, um uh, research-based information to you know the the, the masses and and to help uh, develop tools and things uh, for for growers and so it's to take the research and then get it out to um, the people. 
Uh, excellent. Well, that's what this podcast is all about. So um, I'm really glad that we have you on today. Um, so do you spend a lot of time, Troy, talking to farmers or like how are you spending most of your, your days at work uh, right now? So we do have uh, you know, a research uh, expectation. And, and so I do do uh, quite a bit of research. Um, we're doing some research on the deficit irrigation of, of various uh, types of crops like mint and hops and and uh, canola and switchgrass and some of these things. What we're trying to do is is determine exactly how much water these plants need uh, under different conditions and uh, what happens when you cut it back a little bit because uh, in the future, you know, with water shortages, they're, they're thinking of, you know, strategies to manage those shortages by cutting back a little bit uh, water, cutting back the water a little bit to these various crops. So I want to look at that and see how that works. Um, however, in terms of uh, my extension responsibilities, most of that uh, I, I speak at a lot of uh, events, uh, grower uh, organizations or, or education events. I speak probably oh, 20 to 30 times a year um, um, to, to growers and do education type of things. I also uh, maintain a website uh, to help uh, growers who have questions about irrigation uh, somewhere where they can go and get answers to those questions. And I do field quite a few phone calls as well, you know, and, and I'm not, that's fine. Oh, great. Okay. Well, I should, I should mention, Troy, that, that my partner and I have a small-scale market garden, organic market garden that we run in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia. Um, the growing, the climate of which would be very similar to the Okanagan Valley as it extends into Washington, very dry, hot climate. And, you know, in our future with population growth, I think water conservation is going to be an increasingly important issue. So, um, I think I'll end up wanting to ask you a few questions uh, specific to growing mixed vegetables in, in my context, but um, maybe first you could just talk a little bit then about irrigation scheduling, because that's what you told me you wanted to talk about today, and I have to admit, I wasn't even really that familiar with the term, okay. so you yeah, can so you can treat me treat me like the um, ignoramus that I am. <laughs> no, so uh, it's very typical uh, that people are, are not very educated about irrigation scheduling. This is kind of what I hope to, to do with my career because I think uh, this is what I can get the biggest bang um, for the buck in terms of, you know, what I can do uh, with uh, education. Um, and so you did mention water shortages, and that, that is uh, a reality um, for more and more people. Um, there's just not enough water to go around for all the needs, and there's always downstream demands and um, and uh, for fish and wildlife habitat restoration and things. Um, and in the future, it's only going to get worse with climate change and with uh, the the demand to grow additional crops for biofuel production as well as the demand to grow more food for a growing population. And so, but water supplies are limited, and so you know it's going to be. Um, it's going to get uh, a little tighter in the future. So what we're trying to do is, is help people get the most out of the water that they do have. And, and basically the best way to do that is to know, have an idea of when to turn the water on and when to turn it off and, and how much to apply when you do water. And, and are you sure you really need that first irrigation? Do you need that last irrigation? Those kind of things. That's uh, what uh, I hope to 
um, kind of help people learn how to do. Um, and so what we've done is, uh, you know, there's several different ways to do this. There's soil moisture sensors. There's, um, um, you know, some basic irrigation scheduling techniques. But in order to make it kind of simple for folks, what we've done is we've put together um, an irrigation scheduling um, app, or it kind of acts like an app. Basically, it's a, a website that uh, is made for a very small screen, so it'll work across a whole variety of different mobile platforms, such as uh, iPhone or Android or, or BlackBerry or even some Windows 7 or or, uh, or whatever the Windows one is. Um, but uh, you it, you set up your field, you tell it, so, okay, here's my nearest weather station, here's the crop that I'm growing, here's an estimate of my soil. And with that, it'll uh, we can estimate how much water the plant is using based on the weather data, um, you know, how much water is in the soil, and... Um, uh, how much water the soil can hold in your crop root zone based on your crop's growing characteristics and the soil characteristics. Um, and it just kind of does a water balance. It's kind of the checkbook method. You know, you keep track of how much water is going into the water bank account in the soil and how much water is, is being used by the, the plant. Um, and with that, we can get a rough idea of, of when to irrigate. So that's an online tool. Um, it's right now it's integrated with the Washington Agricultural Weather Network. It's called AgWeatherNet that you can go on and get access to it there. Um, but we're working to expand it to additional weather networks as well. Um, okay, so right now I'm out of luck for using it because it sounds fascinating. But uh, for now, it's just Washington State growers that have uh, access because of that you're connected to the Washington State weather forecasting? Well, everybody has access to it, but um, it's only Right now, it's only hooked into the agricultural weather network, and so you've got to pick a weather station that that's uh, in Washington right now. Um, uh, in other words, we measure weather conditions at these weather stations all throughout the state of Washington, and um, and, and we use that weather to that weather data to estimate crop water use. Um, Oh wow. Okay, I have I have so much already to ask you about, but I'll start with specifically on this on this app. So, first of all, in its current form, how how cuz I know you're doing work, you know, you're you're monitoring your own test crops and stuff. Like how accurate is it at this point? Can it can can it is it pretty reliable as a as a tool for for um helping farmers decide how much water to 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 use? Um so the short answer is is yes. I mean, it gets you it gets you close. Um, the long answer has to do with, you know, there's, there's so much variability in soil type and soil structure and how much organic matter is in your soil and, and uh, you know, how you've treated the soil in the past and, and your particular location, whether you're downstream of trees, you know, if, if you're south-facing slope um, and, you know, all kinds of uh, how rocky is your soil and particular variety of plants and things that all kind of go into that to make it, uh, to, to introduce quite a bit of uncertainty into all crop water use estimation methods and irrigation scheduling techniques, even with soil moisture sensors, um, such that um, you're going to find some variability um, in everything. But uh, it's, you know, it gets us in the ballpark and it gets, 
and it's a lot better than what most people are doing, which is uh, kicking the dirt and looking, you know, to look to see if it's dry in the first half a centimeter or so of, of soil, which isn't very representative of a one-meter uh, deep root zone um, that's typical of most uh, agricultural crops. Um, and uh, okay. Or they just do, you know, uh, guess, you know, the guesstimate. Or they look at the crop and, and wait to irrigate until the crop sees water stress, and by that time they've already taken a yield hit, and so they're getting um, less you know, less yield than they could, wouldn't see otherwise. And just let me mention really quickly that um, when people, you know, there's been a lot of studies when people do irrigation scheduling um, and they see, uh, and they actually get some sort of data to know when to water and when to stop watering, they use about 20, you know, 10 to 30 percent, you know, depending on what you were doing before, less water than they were before. Um, so they save significant amounts of water, and, and that saves quite a bit of money on pumping costs. It also saves a lot of fertilizer costs, believe it or not, because um, before, if you water too much, which people tend to uh, error that way, which they water too much, what they do is they rinse those fertilizers out of the soil and it moves it down uh, past the bottom of the root zone and into the groundwater. So... Um, not only that, so they use less water, but they they tend to see better yields, like 10 to 25% better yields, um, just by you know knowing when to irrigate and when not to to, to irrigate. So. Well, I can I can say I can say Troy that that my own approach to irrigation is is really I mean it's rudimentary and 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 just kind of ignorant. I still have lots to learn, so I'm going to ask you a few questions about my own uh, garden in a few minutes. But just going back to that application, because I think that's really interesting, could you give me an example? So if I'm in Washington and I have, you know, say I'm close to a weather station, which I would expect makes the app even more effective. What, if I sign up to use the app, what information do I have to input about my soil and farm, et cetera, uh, before I can use the application? Yeah, good question. So there's been lots of uh, these types of uh, tools that have been developed by researchers in the past. And the problem with most people like myself is uh, we tend to, uh, you know, think that everybody knows what we know and and, and uh, develop tools that are complicated and, and require lots of inputs. And we've kind of gone away from that and specifically tried to, uh, <laughs> hate to use the word, but uh, dumb it down a little bit and make it simpler. Um, and even and to make some uh, assumptions that, that most researchers don't like to do because they're not perfectly accurate, but uh, just to make it simpler to use and set up. And so right now the, the input is, is there's just five things. You, you tell it, you give it a name, you name your field, and you can the way it's set up, you can put in an unlimited number of fields. So if you've got 150 fields or you're a consultant and you've got a bunch of them, you can set all those up in there. So you just name the field, and then you choose the, the growing year, um, and you can go back and do historical years. So like right now, it's at the end of the season. Um, I could go back and, and run the data for this year and kind of see uh, when I put water on, and, and, and I should be able to see water stress in, the, in this model, um, and that should line up with what I, what I actually saw on the field. So anyway, you could go back historically and get a whole bunch of, um, even for previous years, if you want to look at those. 
Um, so you, you choose, you name the field, you, you choose the, the year, and then you choose the crop. Um, you choose the, your soil texture, and um, what's the other? Oh, then you choose the weather station. So just those five things. Right. Okay. And and then the soil texture is just gonna gonna tell the give the application a better idea of um, what your watering patterns will be, I guess. Then based on how much that texture tends to retain water. Exactly. So uh, you know, for example, if I got a sandy soil, people tend to think, oh, sandy soils, you need to you need to really pour the water to it because you know sandy soils. But that's that's a misnomer. Sandy soils just can't hold very much water, and so. You, you need the water less, but much more frequently with with uh, sandy soils, and uh, versus a you know if you've got a deep silt loam soil or you know a clay soil, those soils can hold a lot of water, and so in those you you can water deep or put a lot of water on and just do it much less frequently, and so the the water holding capacity of that soil is is really important, and so mm-hmm. that by by choosing uh, a soil texture. It, it, it kind of makes guesstimates of, of what your um, your water holding capacity is and your field capacity, which is the maximum amount of water that that soil can hold before it's just going to drain on down through. Right. Okay. And um, I'd like to ask you a little bit now, Troy, about just some common mistakes that growers and farmers make. But um, if I ask you about it in the context of mixed vegetables, are you comfortable with that? Do you have enough experience oh, yeah, with sure. mixed vegetables? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, could you could you talk? Are there a couple you two or three you could point to common mistakes that growers are making that are especially if they're easy to, to fix? Um, what I what I think is probably the most common mistake. Um, there's misconceptions. One is is sandy soils. You have to water a lot, and and mm-hmm. actually when you water sandy soils a lot, then you're actually making the problem worse because. Uh, everybody sees stress in sandy soils, and you see water stress first in sandy soils because they can't hold the water, and so they've got a very small water holding capacity, and they just run out of water first. Well, if I water those spots more, what I'm doing is I'm continuing to rinse those uh, nutrients out of the soil. Um, it still can't hold on to that water. If I put a ton of water on there, it's just going to r- go right into the soil and, and move out of the bottom of the root zone head down into the uh, groundwater of the aquifer. And so I think people overwatering um, sandy soils or putting more on, on a sandy soil, that's a, a common misconception. Um, and again, for those soils, you've got to water more frequently, um, but less each time. So uh, if you can do that with like a drip irrigation system where you're watering every day or something, that's Ideal. I see. So that's kind of the main approach for sandy soils is frequent watering, but 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 your sense yeah. is that a lot of growers are watering way too much per time. Yeah, and 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 in general, people think of uh, irrigation as kind of cheap insurance, quote unquote, which means that they uh, water a little bit more just in case. Um, when they don't really realize that there's neg- there's negative consequences to overwatering. There's there's reduced yields. You're encouraging diseases like wilts and molds and rots, and and you're washing those nutrients out of your out of your soil and moving them down into the groundwater where uh, people don't appreciate pumping that up and drinking it. So, okay, well, Troy, I have a question about that. Um, 
you know, I'm a certified organic veggie grower, and I think I may have a, a misconception about um, the nutrients in my soil, given that anything I'm applying to the soil tends to be in a more stable form. So, and, and, and you know, assuming that I keep my organic matter very high, which we try hard to do, and, and I just had two different sections of our gardens tested, and they were both at around four to 5% organic matter. Um, my understanding has been that, that, that a good, a soil high in organic matter that is is not you're not a, in which you're not applying soluble fertilizers is going to be much less likely to leach. Do I have a misconception there? I mean, if because mm -hmm. I can also tell you that I I am one of those farmers who probably not probably definitely you know approaches watering like well I'd rather overwater just to be sure it's going deep enough. Am I am I uh, still significantly at risk of of um, leaching out a bunch of uh, soil nutrients? Mm -hmm. Um, so you are, you don't have a misconception that these organic, um, and, and I kind of delving into a, an area that's really not my field, but organic, uh, organic matter in the soil is much more stable than these, uh, chemical fertilizers, which are much more soluble and, and they move more quickly. That being said, um, plants don't have knives and forks, so they can't go and get that nitrogen off of those sites uh, where it's held in on the organic matter, they've only got straws, and so they can only suck up these these uh, nutrients that are in solution. And so organic matter tends to um, kind of it's like a slow release fertilizer, which uh, just kind of releases it small amounts um, over time, which is good for a plant, um, but. Still, if you if you overwater, you are going to leach nutrients to smaller amounts, and it's mm -hmm. not as um, big of a you know, not as negative of an impact, I guess. Uh, as um, but still an issue, and I think I think probably I haven't been uh, kind of totally cognizant of that. So I'm I'm glad that I heard you uh, talk about that. Um, perhaps now, if you don't mind, I'll just quickly describe the, my approach to irrigation on, on my farm and then just have you maybe share your thoughts about it. Um, does that sound okay? Sure. Great. Okay. So I honestly, I have to believe that I, if I was given a grade for my irrigation, it would be NI needs improvement. I I'm, I'm sure of it. And I'm sure that you'll agree when I, when I tell you our approach. So I'm, my partner and I are only in this, we're, we're, we're on a, uh, we're leasing land on our current farm and, uh, we're, we just finished the second season of our business and um, like a lot of new and young farmers, we had very little budget each year so far uh, to invest in infrastructure and equipment. And that is included for irrigation. So this year, our big improvement was, uh, whereas last year we, we used all impact sprinklers last year and then coming into this year, it was basically the same, although we were able to um, create a grid of, of uh, impact, impact sprinklers on risers. So except for one 100 foot um, uh, line of uh, you know uh, risers with with spray nozzles to to, to some lettuce beds um, we were using impact and uh, I, I like I say I live in a very arid and very hot climate in the summer and I would say just as a general rule we were watering for sure every three days a good dose and um, usually every two days half of our land that we water is uh, fairly sandy and the other half is more of like a silty loam. Um, and generally, you know, I wouldn't just water just because it was time. We, we generally just used a finger test. So if, if we found that we'd scratch through the soil 
and we would scratch it in and if, if it was dry up to like our second knuckle, we would we would water. So is anything I'm saying so far, like do you have any comments on, on our approach that I've described so far? So what you're doing, I mean, what your, your approach is very typical. Um, and, you know, uh, so uh, suggestions for improvement possibly are, so you've, you've got uh, sandy soils and silt soils underneath the same sprinkler set. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd say that the, the, the main, this is our main garden and half, the upper half of the garden is, is sandy and the lower half, uh, it's actually quite a, for such a small area, because we're talking like a half acre, uh, it, it changes abruptly into a kind of a silty loam, I would, I would describe it as. And you probably get better yields in the silty soils. That's, that's been my experience, although this, this silty loam was just turned up for us from pasture uh, this year. So we only had the sandy section last year. Now we've okay. got, this was the first year, but I was really uh, happy with the output in this new section. And, uh, it's all on, you know, the same set, you know, you got one valve to control the whole spot or you got, you can control. Well, yeah, but in this, in this section, it's, uh, what is it? I think it's 12 sprinklers in total. So essentially I can control the amount of water I'm throwing on the, um, the silt versus the sand because there's that you know they each each section has its own oh, okay. array of impacts yeah yeah so um you know like i said the one thing that i would do is is think about uh, consider um watering um you know shorter sets but more frequently on the sandy soils um than you do on on the silt soils the other thing okay. that is kind of a, a an easy test <clears throat> Um, you know, the second knuckle, that's what, two inches. So I would, you know, another, um, vegetables are shallow rooted crops, you know, but, but they're not two inches. It's more like 12, uh, inches deep is where the roots are. And so I would, uh, in the future, try to get soil from a little bit deeper than that because it may be dry on the top. They might have plenty of water, um, deeper, um, and uh, and you might be able to, to save some irrigation water that way. Um, the other and thing is, um, after you irrigate, um, take uh, like a quarter-inch steel rod or something and kind of shove it into the ground, and you should be able to tell um, where it's dry and where it's wet. So if uh, you've got dry soil, it'll be hard to get the, the rod through the soil there, and it'll, where it's wet, it'll sink in fairly readily. And so you can kind of use that to estimate how deep the water that you applied went. Wow, that's really smart. I was just going to ask you if uh, it's worth investing in one of those cheap like ear probes to, to stick in the soil to, that, you know, um, even it. Yeah, and then the other thing is... Um, is, is pull some some soil up and, and just kind of do the the look and feel test with with create a, a ball um, you know and, and if it basically holds its shape then uh, it'll it's it's has more water in it than if it kind of falls apart but sandy soils always fall apart so you, you kind of have to do, calibrate yourself to that system and how I would do that is is watch your soils I mean leave the water off just one time. And, and wait till you see water stress. You know, not not a significant amount of water stress, but just where you can barely say, well, okay, yeah, it is kind of hurting a little bit for water. And then 
what I would do is go into the soil and do a, a look and feel to that, bring some bring some dirt up and, and squeeze it, et cetera, in your hand and um, and say, okay, this is what the soil looks like when it's too dry. And then use right, that as right. a way to kind of calibrate yourself to that particular soil because every soil behaves differently and every, every person is a little bit different in how they do that. Uh, but calibrate yourself to that soil and I think that is way to do that and i guess that that advice applies to whether your soil is sandy or or silt or clay right exactly, I mean, just yeah. just learning learning how to to recognize um look i have a decent idea of recognizing water stress in plants but is there any general thing you'd say in terms of when you know the first indication that early indication of water stress um, well every plant behaves differently when it's it's water stressed um like with grass the, the earliest um indication that I can tell is it changes color. It goes from mm-hmm. like a light green to more of a darker green. Um, yeah. And um, um, the other plants, of course, they, they wilt and etc. But uh, maybe color change, and I'm not sure. I mean, what with like lettuce and stuff, everything behaves a little bit Right. Yeah, I guess it's a hard question to answer when you're talking, in my case, you're talking about whatever, 30 vegetables or something. Right. Um, well, that was, um, yeah, that was all really interesting, Troy. I, one, I, other, um, one other thing that I like to bring up is <clears throat> that I see common is people water on the same schedule all season long. And so they kind of get into this, and this is very typical of homeowners. They, they set their automatic irrigation controllers and then just leave it. Oh, I water on, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and, you know, for 20 minutes each, and then, okay, and I forget it for the rest of the season. What that doesn't take into account is the drastically changing uh, water use needs of plants over a season. Early in the spring, they just don't need very much water um, because the temperatures are cool and it's more humid and, and the plants are small. They just use a small amount of water. But then typically when plants are in their vegetation, their reproductive growth stage um, where um, they're like, uh, this is, and for gardeners, this is the, the time when, um, you know, the, the broccoli is putting the, the heads on. This is when the corn is tasseled and it's actually growing ears. Um, and this tends to happen during the hot part of the summer. And at that time, plants need a lot of water. And then when they're done in the end of the season, it changes again because of the, the the weather changes and the the plant growth needs of the change and so anyway I think it's important to take that into account and realize that it's kind of a a hill it goes up and it peaks out in July and August and then you know it's really they're done in the fall right okay I think that's another mistake I'm making and then I I just really wanted to um well, I just wanted to mention in case you have anything to say, like our, our plan is we, we started with impact just because it was the cheapest way to go. And what I think we'll do is over time, we'll we'll block by block through our garden, start implementing um, drip irrigation. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the idea. Do you have do you know vegetables well enough to know whether there's a smart approach in terms of crop families to focus yeah. on first? So commercial growers almost do uh, drip irrigation exclusively. And the reason has to do with quality more than, um, um, you know, growth. Impact sprinklers, there's nothing wrong with the way that they use to get water to the soil. 
but it gets the tops wet, um, and that encourages diseases and a lot of different kinds of pests and stuff. Um, where and also it cools the crop, so you get evaporative cooling um, with drip irrigation. I mean, with with sprinkler irrigation that you don't get with drip. And so with drip, the soil warms up a little bit sooner, um, and you're going to or the plants warm up, and so you're going to see a little bit uh, earlier production, a little bit later production. Um, you get really great water use efficiency. Um, sprinkle irrigation, about 30% of the water is lost to evaporation between the time it goes from the nozzle to get stored in the soil. Um, with drip, it's only like, you know, 2 to 5%. So it's much more efficient. Um, and you have much more control over things with, with drip irrigation. So, right. Um, but, but there's nothing wrong with sprinkle irrigation, especially for like uh, pastures and things like that. I think it's a great way to go. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, look, um, that was really fascinating, Troy, and I'm, I sure appreciated learning what I did today. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on and to tell you, and I want to tell you that if um, things don't work out for you as an extension agent, uh, you should you should put this you should put us you should put this you should put your phrase on a on a t-shirt um, plants don't have knives and forks and then sell the hell out of that t-shirt because I think it'll sell really well um, <laughs> anyway uh, thank you very much for coming on this on the on the show I'm excited to get this up so um, other other growers and farmers can can listen to what you have to say sure and I just want to invite anybody who uh, has questions you know I've got a website at irrigation.wsu.edu or they're welcome to call me more than happy to sure. answer questions. Well, I'll put your website name up on uh, on the website when the when the podcast goes up. And can you just say that app website one more time? Um, so this is on on uh, Ag Weathernet's website, and so you can just do Google for Ag Weathernet. It's all one word with no spaces. Or um, it's at weather.wsu.edu. And on there, um, there's a link. You do have to to register, you know, to get in because mainly. Um, we're trying to show the politicians that we mount with that what we're doing is useful, and so we count people uh, that way. But other than that, uh, I mean, they they're not gonna overly spam you or anything. So right. Well, that's really cool. I'm I'm gonna check that out despite being a little far away to to take to take advantage. But yeah. um, uh, one more thing, I just want to I want to say you know I'm excited you know for all you Washingtonians that that uh, you know if you choose you can fairly soon maybe choose to have a little bit of um, marijuana for own use after, oh, yeah. after the other yeah, day's great. election. So you got to figure out crop <laughs> I'm sure, for marijuana and crop other use. Yeah, you're, you're going to have a lot more calls. Yeah. That's right. You're going to have a lot more calls from marijuana growers. <laughs> anyway, um, Troy, thanks so much. Have a, have a, have a good day. And, and um, yeah, I'm really grateful for that, uh, that you exist, that Washington's putting funding into this sort of stuff and that you're doing what you're doing. Thanks again. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. So that's my talk with Troy Peters. Thanks again to Troy. And uh, just for anyone who was interested in the websites he was talking about, Troy's personal website is irrigation.wsu.edu. And if you're interested in checking out that irrigation app for smartphones that Troy was talking about, you can Google Ag Weathernet on the interweb, or you can check out the website weather.wsu.edu. Hope you enjoyed that episode, and we'll be back uh, with another one in about a week. Thanks. Except for a little old you I've met a whole army of weasels A legion of leeches Trying to give me the screw 
But if we bury ourselves in the woods in the country Wear no clothes so we never have laundry We'll owe nothing to this world of thieves Live life like it was meant to be Ah, don't fret, honey, I've got a plan To make our final escape All we'll need is each other A hundred dollars and maybe a roll of duct tape And we'll run right outside of the city's reaches We'll live off chestnut spring water and peaches We'll owe nothing to this world of thieves And live life like it was meant to be trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of thinking some real soul searching and here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong so we'll run right out into the wilds and graces we'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was